All right, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Job. Eric, in case you're listening, we're using your new microphone. I'm supposed to say something real quick, Luke's checking out the volume. Excellent, perfect. Excellent, perfect. righty. so the book of Job, if you would, chapter 1. Look at me, I can walk everywhere. All right, so, so yeah, I want to look at chapter 1. We're going to read chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse uh, 10. We're not going to talk about all of it, though, but we need to see the context of everything. So, yes, I'm reading through Job now. Um, I was thinking, you know, every time I read the book of Job, I... I if enjoy is the right word, I enjoy it more or I appreciate it more. Um, and, I, and I think that's because it just comes with life experience. Because personally, I think to be able to get some of what is happening in this book, it takes the experiences of life. You have to have some age because you can't relate. For example, you know, Job is evidently a little bit later in life. His, his kids are old enough to be able to get together, celebrate their birthdays, have a banquet. And so, you know, so they're older. So, you know, I don't know how old they'd be, 20s, 30s, teens or something. But, he, you know, he has enough kids. It appears the kids aren't married, perhaps, yet, so there's no grandkids. But he's experienced life to this point where he is. And... Now, as I'm reading through Job, I can relate to more of it because of more life experiences. Like, his health is just ravished. Well, I couldn't comprehend to comprehend what it would be like to have real serious, debilitating health problems. But since I've had the prostate cancer, praise God I am doing well after five and a half years, but I can read now about how he's afflicted and how physically and mentally that was challenging him because here was a guy that had a lot of land, a lot of livestock, a good-sized family. He had servants. You know, he was a, probably a physical specimen. You know, he had to work the land and manage everything. But now, all of a sudden, out of the blue, he doesn't understand why boosh, he's attacked with this physical ailment that's just debilitated him. So you can't comfort those with comfort unless you've gone through it yourself. There's just something different about it. So anyway, I'm trying to say keep reading the book of Job. If it's confusing, if, if you're not really personally getting a lot out of it, just wait a few years because your perspective will change simply because of life. So with that as a backdrop, um, I'd like us to just start reading. I'll try to read slow enough. I'm not going to make any comments. And then I have actually just three points. I actually finally did this like a sermon. Three points and almost have a poem, but I, <laughs> but I don't. All right, so if you would, just follow with me. Try to pay attention and think about, you know, try, try to view yourself in this narrative. You're a figure. Either you're a fly on the wall you're Job's wife, you're Job, you're one of the angels up in heaven, but somehow stick yourself into the narrative. Be a participant in this. It'll help it come alive. All right. There was a man in the land of Uz, or Uz, or it's not Oz, 
whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep, and three thousand camels, and five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Jehovah, and Satan came also among them. And Jehovah said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered Jehovah and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And Jehovah said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, <clears throat> a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered Jehovah and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. <clears throat> and Jehovah said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of Jehovah. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Jehovah gave, and Jehovah hath taken away. Blessed be the name of Jehovah. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. 
Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yehovah and Satan, uh, and Satan came to present, sorry, let's start again. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yehovah, and Satan came also among them to present himself before Yehovah. And Yehovah said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered Yehovah and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And Yehovah said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered Yehovah and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And Yehovah said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of Yehovah, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. So, you know, we're coming at this from the perspective that Job is a real person. And Satan is real, and God is real, that this isn't some allegory, it's not some story to just teach a principle. You know, we're told in James that we're to behold the patience of Job. You know, he was looked upon as as a living, real person. So what we're reading here is something that actual people experienced, and it's recorded for us because at some point in life, we're going to experience something. If not pers- That's in this book. If not personally, we're going to know people connected to us where somebody's health may be in jeopardy or somebody loses a daughter or a child or somebody goes bankrupt. Somebody loses all their property in a fire. I mean, we're so sheltered from all of this, it's hard to relate. And that's why I say once we experience some of these same things in our own life, then we'll learn to relate. That's why the book of Psalms only can come alive to the extent it it needs to. It can only come alive when once we've experienced some of the things that the psalmist writes about. And so... This, this, to me, this book, this Bible is a living book. And as we live our life, we grow into this book. We are then, by the Spirit of God living within us, able to take more and more out of this book and see how it has application to our life because we've lived long enough and experienced enough to be able to relate. It's like Coy trying to explain to our family what it's like to be a cop in the town of Manchester. Well, he can tell us stories as graphically as he can, 
but we can't comprehend it. I've been able to enter into a little bit of what he talks about now that I drive a bus through that whole area of Manchester and see the people and see the life and see the houses and see the condition of the streets and, and the, the broken homes that these kids come from and the fallout of it. And a little kid telling me, you know, a seventh grader saying, yeah, this, this is not a safe place where we live in these uh, apartments here. There's just a lot of drugs. The cops are over here all the time because of all, of all the drugs that are involved. And you start to get, now I have a different perspective. I can't completely connect with Coy as he relates, but I've entered into it a little bit. And now I can understand why he has some of the moments that he has. And so that's the book of Job. So I want to lay that groundwork. And it's the same for all of the word of God. You know, when Paul, I'm rambling, and maybe I'll not even get to the message, who cares? But when Paul writes to Timothy as a, as a young man in the ministry, well, First and Second Timothy, and even throw in Titus, sometimes to the average person, well, how do I relate to this? But once you start entering into, quote-unquote, what we call ministry, and you have the responsibility of proclaiming the word, keeping your life and act together so that you can minister to others, whom of which are grateful and some of aren't, once you start reading First and Second Timothy, then it has more of a meaning. Now, that's not to say First and Second Timothy doesn't have meaning and application to everybody, because it does. There's tons of stuff in there. God wouldn't put it in the Bible. But you understand what I'm saying. So, all right. So, this is Job. Now, I want to look at Job under three headings, and we'll just go through it probably, hopefully, briefly. I want to look at the character of Job, the challenge of Satan, and the confidence of God. That's how I chose to break this up, because as I tried to think about, well, how is this ringing true for me? These, this is kind of the breakdown that I, I got. So first off, the character of God. Um, that's in chapter 1, verse 1. It says that Job... Uh, was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. We also have a representation of his character in verse 8. And Yehovah said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And then chapter 2, verse 3. My servant Job, there's a little bit more to it in this verse, there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. So there's this whole scene going on in heaven, and it seems like, if you can localize heaven, wherever this is taking place in the presence of God in what we call heaven, there's this scene going on. But human eyes don't know anything about this. And Job, he's just having, it's another day, he woke up, he's sipping his coffee, he's reading his Bible, getting ready to go to work. And he does not know that up in heaven, there's this dialogue going on, and he's basically being accused and on trial, and, and, and you know, God decides, since Satan has been roaming the earth, which he still does. He's still a, a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. We can't see him, but in the unseen world, this is all taking place. 
And so they, they, they have this gathering in God's presence, and I don't want to get into what the sons of God in, are and what's going on. It's just suffice it to say there's this angelic host presenting itself before God, and Satan is there, and, and God speaks to Satan and says, Hey, by the way, while you're walking around and going to and through on the earth, I don't want you to miss this. Here's this guy over here that's a great representation of me and who I am. Have you considered this guy? Now, this is when you want to just say, God, be quiet, be quiet. You know, if, if, you, if you're Job, you know, this is pretty cool, you know, out of all the people, because he's, he's uh, I got it here somewhere, he's unique, we'll get to it. You know, he, God picks him out as a representative of what a person is supposed to be like. And every time I read this, not every time, but most of the time when I read this, I, I, I am now Job. And I just want to say, God, be quiet. Would you please be quiet? Don't, don't tell Satan about me. He's been walking around somehow. He missed me. That's fine with me. Find somebody else to be your trophy that you want to hold up. Just kind of leave me alone. But that, you know, he doesn't know enough to say that. But what an honor that God looks at Job and recognizes him as a person that has biblical character that honors God. Now, I immediately say, I want to be that person. But immediately I say, I don't know really what I'm saying, so I better be quiet because I don't want God to be using me as an example. I just don't. You know, pick Judy, God, pick Judy, pick Judy. She's a better example than I am anyway. But what an honor. I mean, my heart cries out, that says, God, I wish, I hope that somehow, in spite of my flaws and sin, because Job, though it says it's perfect, it doesn't mean he was sinless. It was just, he has it all in one package to the best of the ability that a human being could have it as a representation. You know, I, I, I still say, God, I wish to some degree, you know, I could be 87th string, you know, when it comes time for the pick, and, you know, they, they finally, you know, they pick first string, second string, third string. I'd like to be somewhere in the string, anywhere. Well, do I really mean that? Do you mean that? Do you want God to have this sort of, uh, if he critiques you, do you want God to be able to say this of you or not? That's quite a question to ask. I wonder if we really even care enough. I wonder if, if we're living our lives and striving in our lives to the point where God could say, well, yeah, you know, he's not quite on the caliber of Job, caliber of Job and, and all these people, but, you know, he's, he's still in the lineup. If we ever need him, he's there somewhere. You have to ask questions like that because when we read a book like this, it's not about knowledge. It's not learning about Job. It's what knowledge about Job does God want me to be getting and looking at about me? So the character of Job. So it says that he, he feared God and eschewed evil. Uh, it's interesting. I've always tried to figure out how to say this word, so I went on this morning, and, um, and you know, you go to the dictionary, and you could push the thing. And so you can either say eschew or eschew. But interestingly, as I... If you read my thing, the online, uh, I want to say onocological, but that's not, etymological dictionary, this estuke comes from 
a word, skew, S-K-E-W. So that's why something, if you just were to take the word skew, you'd say skew. That's why some will pronounce it as skewed or eschewed. Either is probably correct. It really doesn't matter. But I saw Judy over there mouthing it, eschew. And that made me to think to explain this again. So, but it means to, to turn aside. So, yes, this is a word we don't use a lot anymore, much to our uh, um, demise, really. Because if you go to a dictionary, like I wrote in the blog about the King James, or you go to the etymological dictionary online, it's fascinating to see where, why, we, why they use these words. Where did they come from? And then if you plug it back into you know, 1600, that period, and the, really the development of the English language, this is really cool. We think it's an old-fashioned word. No, this is a great word. The problem is, what's it skewed? What's it skewed? And we're, we're sitting there thinking, is it a skewed, a skewed, a skewed, a skewed? No, it's a word that means skewed, to turn aside. So when it says that he's perfect and upright, well, what does that mean? It means he feared God. He had something in him where God wasn't his pocket buddy. You know, God wasn't his lucky rabbit's foot. He had a reverence for God, a fear of God. And that caused him, that, that perception, the perspective that he had on God caused him to turn aside from evil. The more, in the right sense, and, and I always feel like I need to explain this in our politically correct culture, but I'm not going to. The more you fear God, the more you're afraid of God, the more it's going to determine the course of your conduct. And shame on us as preachers for not preaching on the fear of God. And not preaching, as Paul said, the, preaching on the whole counsel of God. You know, God is a consuming fire, we're told, along with God being the God of covenant loyalty. The two go together. You want the blessing of God? Do what he says. If not, look out. So we read a book like this and say, Ooh, Job is an incredible guy. He's living his life in such a way that he's a complete package. Not sinless, but a complete package. And his perspective of God has caused him to shun evil. Now he gets accused later on by his friends of certain things. Whether that's true or not, I'm not exactly sure. But I still say, you know what? The worst that Job did, if we could come up to the level of the worst of what Job did, that would be incredible. So the character, he feared God and eschewed evil. We also find out that he's unique. It says in 1.8, uh, there's none like him in the earth. That's incredible. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, there's none like him in the earth. He's unique. You know, sometimes we feel alone, Luke. You know, especially our congregation is as puny as it is at present, plus our, our perspective on just things, you know, the translation of the Bible. What do we think about the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, where do we fit in the, in the Torah movement? You know, we, we feel alone sometimes, and that's a scary place to be. But as God pulls out a remnant, remnant, as God pulls out a remnant, um, it's a remnant. 
It's maybe one here, two there, three there. Oh, there's another one over there, right? It, it, it'll collect together as a pretty good-sized whole. But there's a bunch of people scattered that make up that remnant. And God's looking for unique individuals. But being a unique individual that's willing to just go with God as far as you possibly can, no matter what the cost is, makes it very unique you're kind of in the queue by yourself. But that's okay. You know? That's part of having character. Yeshua basically went to the cross alone, unique, if I can use the word that way. Yeshua said, if you're going to follow after me, you need to take up a cross, they die, die daily, and follow me. And that might cost you mother, father, brother, sister, houses, lands. That's my word unique. That's how I want us to see this. You want to follow Yeshua the way Yeshua says to follow him? Be prepared to be unique. Where your friends and neighbors will say, there's nobody around here quite like him or her, right? So he feared God, eschewed evil. He was unique, none like him. But he was marked by integrity. Two, three. It just, it's almost like it's tacked on. He eschewed evil and still he holdeth fast his integrity. In times of testing, that's where our metal is proven, right? Our integrity. So in times of testing, I wrote two things. We can do some stupid things and sin, right? I mean, think about just yourself. If you're in times of testing, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to go do, you're going to do stupid things and sin, which is oftentimes what I do when the testing comes spiritual, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, or in times of testing, you can get mad at God and blame him. Yeah. You know, nor child, George, uh, says that, uh, anyway, Job didn't charge God foolishly. So he, he didn't go off and sin and do stupid things, and he didn't charge God foolishly. He maintained his integrity, at least at this point still. He's even keeled. Because his wife comes along and says, you know, what, what are you doing? Why do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, I don't know if Job's wife gets a bad rap or not. You know, I, I, I think of my wife here in a situation like this. She's been through enough. She, she, I can see her at times saying, why don't you just end it all? She wouldn't say that. But, you know, I, I can imagine that wives sometimes tire of having to go through the journey with the husband, right? And I'm like, can I get a nod, women? Yeah. I, you know, because we men are at times way out of bounds, <laughs> And our wives who have that God-given gift of reason don't understand what is wrong with us. And I can see Job's wife, if she's married to, anyway, a man like us who are here, 
you can almost feel sorry for the wife because they come to the point where I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help this guy. This guy, there's no stopping him. What is he ever going to learn? That's part of it, but wives, be thankful that you have a husband that tries to serve God and loves him and lives for him, and though he's not meeting up to the level that you like him to be at, it could be a lot worse. But I love this response of Job's wife. But she, she, what is really cool is she recognizes that he is a man of integrity, right? So in the midst of all that, husbands and wives, what the husband needs to be doing is modeling a life that, regardless of everything else stupid the husband's saying, doing, that the wife can at least say, you know what, <laughs> he's a man of integrity. He hasn't cheated on me. He hasn't stole anything. He hasn't maliciously maligned or hurt anybody. Even though as a husband, he's up and down and all over the place, if I can separate that, there are a lot of good things about this man. He loves me. He loves my children. He works hard and provides for them. Look at Job had all this cattle, all this land, all these servants, all this productivity, and the wife was just reaping it all in as part of the package with Job. And so she says, gosh, honey, is it really worth it? Look at you. Man. And I think at this point, maybe she's feeling with him, though it doesn't come across that way, and I'm maybe giving her more credit than she deserves. But you know what? My wife has lived with me now 39 years, and she's been through a lot. And I, I feel for Job's wife right now. I just do. She, I think she gets maybe rightly so a bad rap. But anyway, so that's the character of Job. He feared God, eschewed evil. He was unique, none like him. He was marked by integrity. He didn't do stupid things and sin. And he didn't get mad at God and blame him and charge God foolishly. If only any of that could be said of any of us, I think we would be doing good. All right, second, the challenge of Satan. Now, I've already said this, but Satan is real. He's real. Just because we don't see him, it doesn't mean he's not real. He's in that unseen realm. Now, there's manifestations of him in, in the lives of people. Um, but I don't want to talk about this. But he's, he's, he's real. So we have to come at it from the fact that Satan is real. He's still roaming this world. He still has angels that are working with him, alongside of him, to bring about our downfall and to shame the glory of God. I mean, his goal is not good. And that's why the whole stinking world is in the whole stinking shape that it is. Because Satan's goal is to bring death. That's his whole goal. And if he can get people in this life, to, the sooner he can get unsaved people in this life to die so that they don't have eternity and they're going to have to spend misery with him, that's what makes him happy. So he's real. So Satan is real. Now notice um, chapter 1, verse 7. And Yehovah said unto Satan, Once cometh thou? And Satan answered Yehovah and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. He's scouting out. He's, he's, he's on a scouting mission. Who can I get? 
And yeah, and yeah, of a sudden, saying, Has you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and skewed evil. Then, here, here comes the challenge of Satan. Then Satan answered Yehovah and said, Does, Do you think Job fears you for nothing? Look at all the bennies he has. Look at all the benefits. I mean, you just shower him. Of course he's going to stay loyal to you because that's where his bread is buttered. Ten, hast not thou made an hedge about him? You're protecting him from the real life, from real world, from all these things. You've hedged him about and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But if you put forth your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse thee to thy face. So God says, and we'll get to in a little bit, all that he has is in your power only upon himself, at this point, put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth in the presence of Yehovah, and just all hell breaks loose. Interesting, and I don't know if I'm right on this, I'm just going to throw this in here. Verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven. Was it really the fire of God that fell from heaven, or is this a manifestation of Satan's powers and capabilities. That fire coming down from heaven, you'd automatically think it was God. Maybe it is, I don't know. But I got to thinking this time, well, it's just like Satan. That's what he does. He counterfeits the things of God. And, and I got thinking, and please bear with me because this is dealing with all the stupidity that's going on in the Messianic movement. If fire fell down from heaven right now, we'd all be thinking, look what the Yachachadosius did! <laughs> Just because it, it seems supernatural does not mean it's always of God. We need to get this in our head, folks. We're so easily duped. These guys give the word fire God fell. Well, based on what we just read, no, this is part of what Satan is doing to destroy Job. No, he doesn't know. Just like Luke, you said, and what got me thinking about the, the, you know, so uh, Moses throws down his rod, but the other guys throw down their rod too, right? Let's be careful. And 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 the and the perspective of our report then sets a tone of response. These guys come and implant the seed in his head. Fire of God fell. Maybe, maybe not. You know what? You feel bad to question that. Don't you? You feel the reporter, wow, the fire got fell. And you sit there kind of like I did not too long ago, with this blank face on your expression on your face. Maybe, maybe not. You know, I'm not really gonna jump on this bandwagon at the moment because no. Maybe not. So he throws down this challenge. Just touch all that he has. You have you been there? You lose 20 clients. I don't know how your mind goes, but oh God, how come? Maybe it's not that. 
Maybe it's a test allowed by God that Satan decided to throw upon you to see if you'll trust him. Right? Maybe Satan's in it. Maybe not. If he is, he's, God's given permission to say, you know what, let's see how Luke and Mary Lee are going to respond here. You know, they've been doing all right. Let's just zap away 20 clients. You know, we don't think of it that way, right? I don't. You know, Warren's had it easy. He's been kind of self-proud, though he would never admit this, because his health is always good. He likes to tell people, I haven't been to a doctor 20 years, so it's about time to go get a physical. <laughs> doctor comes back in the room with this look of death on his face. We're not even going to wait the two weeks to have you tested. Well, I'm going to call right now and see if we can get you in tomorrow. What does Warren do then? I'll tell you what Warren did. Fell apart. I mean, who wouldn't? Maybe. Maybe I'm too hard on myself. But what I'm trying to get us to see is the challenge, the test. How are you going to respond? If God touches all that you have, we'll get to the physical in a minute, but if he touches all that you have, takes away your car, takes away your house, takes away your clients, takes away your kids, grandkids, everything else that happened here, Ah, what do you do? <sighs> See, this is real stuff. And I don't know if I'm up for the challenge. But we need to be. All right, so, then chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, and, and Yehovah said to Satan, from whence cometh thou? And Satan answered the Lord, said, from going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it, and so the Lord said everything that we've already said. So here comes the challenge. Verse 4. And Satan answered Yahweh and said, Skin for skin. Yeah. All that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. And Job, I'm telling you, God, he'll curse you to the face. And Yahweh said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand but save his life. Now, I want to go back to verse 3 because something very important here. At the end of the verse, although thou movest me. It's just, that word move is the same word when, when David is moved to number. Israel, it's the same word. And so you wonder, who moved, who moved David? Was it God or Satan? Yes. Because if you look in Chronicles, it's God. If, if, if you read in Samuel, I think it is, it's Satan. So who moved David to go number, God or Satan? Yes. Well, that's what's going on here. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Wrap your head around that. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him. And there's no reason. But yet God brings Job to the point of destruction for no reason. There's no, nothing evidently that God could see that was enabled, that would cause God to say, you know what, you're right, he deserves this, I'm going to touch, go ahead, touch his body, do whatever you want. You know what, he's had this coming. You know, he's about due. Well, no, God says it's without cause. <sighs> So basically, Satan's challenge is hit him where it hurts and he'll turn on you. That's basically the test.
Hit them where it hurts. So, Satan touches personal property. Satan touches children. And Satan touches health. I mean, it's all there. Right? It's all there. He's at the brink of destruction, and there's really no cause for this. Now, Job's three friends don't know that. They have all kinds of reasons why Job's going to go through this. And yes, when we get to the end, we find out that God had to do a work in Job because he has to do a work in all of us. None of us here are perfect. None of us have reached where we need to be. And God knows it's going to take something to get us where he wants us to be at the end of the book. And along the way, you're going to have some well-meaning people coming into your life. Oh, I, got it. I have to share this. Just turn up to chapter 4. Um, so, who is this? This is Eliaphaz. Uh, you know, he says, verse 5, but now, all, you know, well, I, I didn't want to get into this, but let's go ahead and do this. Verse 1. Then Eliaphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, Wilt thou be grieved? You know, if we, they're, they're tiptoeing. You know, if we, if we have a few things to say, can you bear with us here a minute? But who can withhold himself from speaking? So they're going to speak anyway. Now, now it gives a little history. Behold, Job, you've instructed many. You strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upholded him that was falling. And you've, you strengthened the feeble needs. But <laughs> sure, it's easy to tell everybody what to do. But now that it's coming on you, oh, it's a little different story, isn't it? But now it's come upon you, and you faint that toucheth thee, and you are troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perish being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, the life has the saying, they that plow iniquity and, and sow wickedness reap the same. Well, that's true, right? These people come, it's always a mixture of true and not true, true and not true, true. And you're just sitting there spinning because, well, I don't quite agree with that, but, oh, they had that point right over there, so maybe what they're saying over here is right. This is what's going on in Job's mind. I, I, I don't think I'm guilty of what he said, but, and he's really right on here. Yeah, I've seen it too. If you pile iniquity and so wickedness, that's what you're going to get. Verse 9. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perisheth for lack of pay, prey, and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. So all that to get to verse 12. Now, Job, I, got, I have a word for you. I have a word for you, Job. Now, a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little thereof. In thoughts from the visions of night, when deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, and a hair of my flesh stood up. I stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man. Do you understand what's going on? How can Job refute anything now? He can't. Man, I have had a secret thing brought to me. I have a word for you, Job. As a matter of fact, I had a vision, and it was so real, the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Shall mortal man be just, more just than God? 
I'm, all I'm trying to say is, it's okay to question stuff like this. It's okay to question when people come to you, they've had a vision, they've had a dream, they have a special word from God for you. I, I just question that. I'm sorry. And I think we have the right to do so. Because here you have what got me going on in all this is as well-meaning friends come. And, and the whole scene starts to change. And he starts to be accused a little bit. And he questions himself, but he doubts what they're saying. And he believes he's done right before God, but he knows that, sure, he's a sinner. And now he enters in, once we get past this, a period of great confusion. So there's the challenge laid out. Touches property, touches children, touches health. All right, now we'll end it with this. The confidence of God. It's, it's implied in this. So verse 1, verse 12. And so, so in other words, the character of Job, but now Satan brings a challenge. God says, okay, go ahead. But why? All right, verse 12. And the Lord said, behold, all that is in thy power, go for it. Just, just don't uh, upon himself put forth nothing. See, I'm saying the confidence of God is implied in the fact that God's held up Job as a trophy specimen. Satan comes along and really puts the challenge and says, you know what, God, you've hedged him in. You've blessed him. Look at his kids are healthy. He's got all this stuff. The confidence of God is, and what I want us to see is sometimes the tests come because God is confident, more so in us than we are. Go for it, Satan. Take it all. Go for it. Just don't touch him. And I know he will not do what you said he will do. He will not curse me. That's pretty cool. The second one is chapter 2, verse 6. So, yeah, put forth your hand, now touch his bone. Sure, you take everything, that's fine. That's, it's still not personal. I mean, it's personal, but it's not quite personal, God. Yeah, you've taken all this stuff, but now, if you really get personal, and you touch him. So that's what it is. Satan answered. Verse 4, uh, the Lord says, skin for skin, yea, all the man has, he will give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And God said, you know what? I have enough confidence in him based on his past history. I think he'll be able to weather this. Go ahead. Now, I want, I'm going to close with this. I want us to see that the most horrific times in our life could possibly be things that we should view as the most blessed things that could possibly happen to us because our God behind the scenes and the unseen realm is putting us on display as somebody to whatever degree and level of testing God allows us to go through. He's somebody that will still hold his integrity. He will not curse me and he will remain faithful even though he goes up and down. I believe I can get him to the end where I can then again bless him and he will become the man that I have in the next stage of his life and existence for. See, this little thing we're in right now, God may be preparing us for another stage of our existence later down the road. But for us to get to that greater renewed point of usefulness for him, we have to go through everything that gets up basically to chapter 40. 
where it says God turned to captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. God blessed him. And all of a sudden, his friends come around and say, you know what, I knew you were the good guy. We, we were right behind you the whole way, Job. <laughs> right? That's what happens again. They had to show up out of the woodwork. Where were you? Where were you? Now Job starts to view things a little differently. His trust isn't in his fellow man. His trust isn't in his neighbors. His trust isn't in the family that he had because that was gone except for the wife. The only thing that stayed with him faithfully is the wife, and I think this is incredible. <laughs> they have the kids all over again. You know, they start all over again. She gives birth now to kids all over again. I, I just, I love this woman. Because I see her as a woman who has to struggle with a stupid husband, although he's blessed by God, and God honors him. He's still, the poor wife sees him day to day, day to day, day to day. And it's like, you know what? I bore all those kids for you once before, Job. I don't want to do this again. I'm glad you came through. I'm glad God is blessing. Everybody's happy. I'm just not going to go through it again. Well, what does she do? Come on, honey. Oh. Oh, God is blessed. He's brought us through this. Yes, our heart aches for all that we've lost. But God's blessed us. How can we deny an opportunity to reproduce again for him? Something to think about. You know, if you go to the end, let's just go there. It's just incredible. I love this woman. I don't know what I'd do. Yeah, yeah, so verse 10, he prays, verse 11, now they come out of the water, I'm sorry, 42, verse 11. So now all the people, then there came unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in the house and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that Yehovah brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and everyone gave him an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter and the Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke and oxen and 1,000 she asses. He had also, here it is, seven sons and three daughters. You know, and, and look what it says. So it lists the names, but then you get to verse 15. And all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. Wow. Trophies for God. I don't know. Is anybody blessed by this? I just think this is awesome. And so God hasn't changed his method of, or manner of dealing with his children. It's a matter of perspective, folks. We have to wrap our brains around how God does things, not how man does things or how we expect that God should be doing things. We're his. We're his property. We have to get a hold of that. He, I shouldn't do, but Luke, when he does, but he can freaking do whatever he wants with us. <laughs> you know, who are we to say to the potter, what do you think you're doing anyway, God? I have the potential to be this, this pot that will be admired and sought after. And people will ooh and ah and look at me. And, and instead you're just throwing me over there on the floor. After you smashed me. <laughs> right? 
So this is, this is reality, folks, and I don't know. I don't know. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Job. In the past, you know, I mean, it seemed like every time I read through this book, something bad happened, and I always feared coming to this book because it seemed like every time I read it, I just braced myself because something bad was going to be coming, and sure enough, it did. And I always viewed it and as bad. And I didn't even want to read this book because uh, I know what's coming. But it hasn't been quite like that, and maybe my perspective's changed. And I don't fear coming to this book like I used to because I'm different. You've grown me. I've grown. I've been through experiences of life and getting closer to the end where I will actually be absent from this body and in your presence. And I'm starting to view you, as painfully as it's been to get here, through different eyes. And I appreciate that. I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that you'll teach us through your word. Lord, the only thing that I know to offer and Luke knows to offer is the proclamation of this book. And we ask, Father, that perhaps you would be pleased to bless somebody that might listen to our preaching and come across our little old congregation and be drawn to the fact that simply all our desire is is to uplift this book because it uplifts Yeshua, because he uplifts you. And we seek only to glorify you. Help us, Father, to become people of this book. I still think because to whom much is given, much is required. We here who are in this congregation, we know we should be in this book. We know that we should be meeting with you for our relationship to be changed, to be more conformed to the image of Yeshua. But yet we still stumble and trip over ourselves and we don't meet with you and we don't get into this book. We don't let this book get into us. We're just kind of living on yesterday's and last week's and last month's leftovers. Father, you have to do a work in all of us. And I believe you are. But continue to do more so. And enable us, by your grace, to take the steps necessary to be like the book of Hebrews, where we're no longer just needing basic milk but we're able in our own walk and relationship with you to start getting into some of the meatier portions of what you have for us. So I ask these things. Thank you and bless you. In Yeshua's name, amen.